Welcome to VR in Education. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of VR in Education. In today's episode, we're going to explore the efficacy of using VR and virtual worlds for schooling. We know VR can be a powerful medium to engage students and unlock deep conceptual understanding. But is it possible to anchor this tool to a school's mission and vision statement? Well, on the show today, we have Adam Mangana. He's got his MED and is the chief product officer and founder of Optima Ed. It's an educational experience company focusing on creating standards-aligned virtual reality curriculum. Mr. Mangana has over 15 years of experience in ed tech, and he's also launched the world's first virtual reality charter school, Optima Classical Academy. And this was last year, so fall 2022. Listen, Adam, it's been too long, but welcome to the show. Oh, Craig, thank you so much. And I hear this is the 100th episode. And so I am like just giving you huge shout outs and great energy for uh, all of your continued success. And I'm, I'm humbled to have some time with you today. Me as well. So I always love everyone's origin story on how either personally they got interested in VR in the first place. So how did you hang your hat on this medium? Oh my goodness. Tremendous question. So I was, I've worked in school since I graduated from undergrad. I went to Brown and, um, and after undergrad, um, you know, because I had experience in programming, uh, when I got into the school business and there was a big push for teaching students how to code, I, I just by default became the either the you know the coding teacher, programming teacher, uh, AP computer science teacher, uh, the programming team coach, you know the coding coach, those kind of roles. And um, about nine years ago, I was looking for a way to broaden the appeal of the uh, the, the the basically the coding program I was running. Uh, it was a very homogenous group of students that were interested. And I was trying to grow market share within the school. And I had a very good friend of mine, Derek Ham, who um, is an awesome guy who, who um, was very inspiring to me. We grew up in the same town. He had um, uh, taken a role at North Carolina State and was involved with Epic Games. And, and um, I ended up building an Unreal Engine course. And that course uh, was hugely popular at the school I was at. And I was like, hmm, immersive computing has some legs because you had students interested in sound effects and particle effects and, and other elements outside of just the kind of functionality that learning C++ or C Sharp would, would, would provide. So um, that's what initially drew me to the medium. Um, I then went to Vanderbilt for graduate school where I did my capstone project in researching the efficacy of virtuality classrooms. And so here we are today, um, you know, some nine years later, and uh, we are now uh, going to school in the metaverse. And it, it's been uh, it's been an incredible journey and and a lot of fun, um, but incredibly humbling as well. Mm. 
kudos to you and great story. Let's, you know, let's start from kind of square one and unpack this. First, let's tell the viewers a little bit about Optima Classical Academy, you know, maybe unpack a few things about how the school works, uh, and then we'll get down to some some of the finer minutiae as we go. Yes, yes, yes. And we have, we've, you know, very quickly evolved. We are now um, Optima Academy Online, and uh, we, uh, although are still rooted in the in the very classical philosophy of taking time-tested content and delivering in this new medium, we are, we call ourselves Optima Academy Online, OAO. And, um, and the reason for that shift was we have added on-demand courses. So we don't just have the functionality to have live courses, which we were using the Engage platform. Probably many of your listeners are aware of the Engage platform. We also have the largest library that we know of, of animated lessons that can be consumed asynchronously. And so because of that expansion of the product, we have expanded the name to uh, Optima Academy Online. So students can either have live courses where we're kind of rooted in the Socratic discussion and as you know, for Socratic discussions and, and discussions of any kind, really, three dimensions are better than two, <laughs> better than the checkerboard of faces we're on together with today. And so that was kind of the origin story there. And then with our animated lessons, our, our asynchronous material, this idea of concept-based instruction, um, you know, where, where, where you can experience the heart or, or, or be able to uh, enter a cell, for example, as opposed to reading about a cell. These these experiences make the learning more sticky, and uh, make those concepts come to life. Um, Augustine says the words printed here are concepts. You must go through the experiences, and I think that concept based instruction is critical to the future of learning. Yeah, and you know it's hard to ruminate on something if you're just sort of scratching the surface of it. But again, you've alluded to something that I think is a, a major superpower of using VR, and that is taking people to a journey inside a contextually relevant space that's beyond the classroom, which is just desks. And, you know, we're all sort of sitting there in tidy, neat little rows. Why not bring them into, like you said, a, a very rich, deep, contextually relevant experience that makes them want to talk about it through the Socratic method and, and reflect on it far beyond you know, the, the 30 minutes that we might put them in that experience. So well done and well said. What would a typical day look like when, when some people think of the, you know, VR school, they think, oh, they're in the headset for like four or five hours. What does that look like? Which for many who don't understand maybe uh, the model that you guys are presenting, how, you know, when do they wake up? How often might they be in a headset? Those sorts of questions. Great question. Great question. So, First and foremost, I have two kids and we happen to raise them on a farm in rural Mississippi and they go back and forth between our home in Florida and our home in Mississippi and they can bring school with them, which has been an incredible blessing. And um, this school could not have happened without the incredible faculty and the school leadership. Our head of school, Dr. Dan Sturdivant, is just an, an absolute incredible leader and dynamic and um, very, very um well versed in child development, his 
uh, teammate, partner in crime, Kim Abel, who's been an elementary teacher for years, nationally board certified, is doing her doctorate at Vanderbilt right now and is in the process of becoming Dr. Abel. Um, these folks have come from some of the best schools in, in learning science, and so they understand it would be absurd to have children in a VR headset for you know, a, a, an industrial age workday, like what we've set school up to be. Um, I, I will get right to the cadence, but I do want to make the point that having children sit in a desk for eight hours or six hours is a silly idea, whether that's in an analog setting or in a digital virtual setting. So um, the value proposition to your point, besides just the concept-based instruction, is the, is the idea that we might be able to deliver these concepts far more efficiently. So, you know, a child will wake up and um, depending on what time zone they are in, we'll start at around eight o'clock, eight thirty, nine o'clock. Um, and they'll start with homeroom and, and that homeroom might be on a, um, in a, in a, uh, a Teams chat that's linked to their LMS, which we use Canvas. And from that kind of just um, opening setting where teachers are checking in and taking attendance, um, they transition to their first class, which uh, if you think about a curriculum, you have the planned, the delivered, and the received. The lesson plans are the pre-readings, and those still happen in a, in a, in a very, um, you know, uh, kind of anticipated way. You know, we're reading, we're using textbooks, we're using, um, uh, we're using the great books for novels in ELA in certain cases. But they leave their LMS and then where the VR really makes the learning efficient is where we get to the discussion or the direct instruction, depending on the subject area. And that is where the magic happens. And, 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 and quite honestly, it looks a lot like Magic School Bus. We might be, you know, learning about ancient Rome and they may have read a passage in their preparation for the course the night before about ancient Rome. And then the teacher um, invites all of the students to put their headsets on. And voila, they are starting class in Rome. And the direct instruction uh, is tied to that, uh, to that objective that's taking place in that context. Um, you know, I'm thinking about a lesson that I observed with one of our fifth grade science classrooms uh, where we were, you know, all of these kids are learning virtually. Um, but it was the students must be able to label the parts of a plant. And there was a pre-reading about the xylem and the phloem. And the students went in together. They grouped uh, in small groups and they worked on labeling, you know, several forms of digital plants where they could identify different type of xylem and phloem. And by the time 35 minutes was over, 100% of the students had reached mastery on that particular objective. And they had recordings Myrex to prove it, three-dimensional recordings. So they could submit those recordings and we could see that each of those fifth graders had mastered the objective, which was students will be able to label the parts of a plant. So something as simple as that can be mastered far more efficiently than a 50-minute or 90-minute block. We can do it in about 35 minutes. And so students will do 35-minute blocks um, and you know, one, you know, they can have four or five of those uh, in a school day. And then there's a lot of flexibility for either small group tutoring in the afternoon or student-led um, discovery and, and that kind of, you know, learning at your own academic pace. So there's a lot of flexibility built into the model, uh, but there is that kind of human 
uh, connection that takes place in the social VR platform for about 35 minute sessions, four to five, depending on the grade level. I, I love how you used, in my opinion, the, the correct meaning behind the term direct instruction, because some educators ac across the world hear the word direct instruction and immediately they go towards, oh, that's a lecture. You can't lecture. You don't want to lecture. And so if you do any reading on educational research, uh, Paul Kirshner is one of the ones I read a lot on his stuff. And direct instruction simply means that, you know, you might start out with the learning objectives. You might, you know, do a check-in on uh, pre-existing knowledge, but then you're, you're guiding them through some sort of hands-on guided practice and then maybe giving them independent practice. And so I wanted to throw that out there for listeners to say direct instruction doesn't mean that you're, the kids are just sitting there and the teacher's just lecturing them to death. By far, that's not what it meant. So I'm glad you brought that up and you used it sort of the way I've studied it and learned it myself. You know, Craig, I, I would say VR VR education or, or, or the era of spatial computing and what, what immersive learning presents is the opportunity for us to make ambulatory learning great again, right? If you think about some of our greatest teachers, it's a bit of a throwback, you know, Socrates, Jesus, these types of teachers walked alongside students and they asked them questions to extend their thinking. Right. And so as we think about direct instruction, it's a it's a great example to think about teacher as guide. And how do we actually extend the thinking of our students? That's where the magic happens. Right. Um, and so we want our students highly active um, and doing most of the heavy lifting. In the Engage platform, there are templates that the company Engage VR sets up for you, but I, I doubt you guys just rely on them. Like, do you guys design then some of your own 3D spaces that you'll take these kids on these amazing, you know, walkabouts, if I can use that term from what you yeah. just said? Yeah. And, so we have, we have an incredible development team. We have about 10 folks on our development team and we're a Unity shop. So those of, of your listeners who are more technical know that um, in order to build locations that you can um, use and engage, you have to build them, you know, in Unity, that game engine in particular. Uh, and so, yeah, we have an, a very large library, almost 200 of our own proprietary locations. And that that number is growing every day. We may we may actually be closer to 250 now at the start of this school year. Um, and so engage maybe, I don't know, has 30 or 40 of their own kind of locations that are available, but you wouldn't be able to really um, have a full school experience on just those locations. And many of those locations are built for um, commercial use, maybe, you know, a factory floor or something like that. Um, we're building the settings of classrooms, you know, uh, Lord of the Flies set, you know, we're building the great book settings. We're building ancient Rome and Greece and, and, and areas where, um, that, that you could not access otherwise. And so um, we also have a huge number of proprietary IFX. So we have probably 3000 IFX. We have a huge library of math manipulatives. One of the biggest things that um, building kind of concept-based mathematics instruction in VR solves is, you know, you would have to mail out um, 
you know, <laughs> a ton of math manipulatives to kids, analog math manipulatives. And you can just imagine them being kind of strewn about the floor in people's class in people's bedrooms and under the refrigerator. And so it allows to, to, to keep a bit of order um, as, uh, as students are able to easily access their learning assets. Besides these amazing live synchronous direct instruction type learning journeys that uh, you guys carefully curate through lesson planning, uh, I've spent a lot of time either on the Oculus slash Meta platform or App Lab, and there are some really good asynchronous experiences like Anne Frank House is one of them. How, how often do you curate and use these asynchronous experiences and then deploy them to kids? Yes. So for our online school, um, and I think I should tell your listeners just to give some framing, you know, we have uh, some pretty tight security requirements because we are a completely public school. So we have to use a third-party software to kind of lock down the headset. So students cannot download uh, these apps on their own without the school's permission. We also provide the headsets for free. So none of these folks have to buy their own headsets. So if we are pushing an app like Anne Frank uh, through those headsets, you know, we, it's a pretty coordinated effort. So different grade levels get access to different things. We also have a side of our business where we um, provide support for a number of private schools. And in that context, we are curating experiences beyond our own content and providing support and, 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 and additional options for, for schools. And so we do keep a pretty good running tab of, of those experiences. I see many of these kind of asynchronous experiences as, to your point around Anne Frank, as just an incredible empathy machine. I have to plug my good friend, Derek Ham, who, who built uh, an experience called I Am a Man. He also has just released a, an experience called Barnstormers, which is a experience um, through the perspective of the Negro Leagues and in, in, in early baseball, and that helps uh, with empathy development. And so, I would encourage your listeners to uh, to look at some of the free options available to them. Um, there are many great paid apps as well, but there, there. If if you are interested in curating great content. Um, I would encourage your listeners to, you know, go on Steam or, or the Oculus or Meta Store, excuse me, Meta Store, and, and and access some of the free learning opportunities. The other thing that I would suggest, and one thing that we do do is, um, there's just a host of great opportunities to bring in photorealism into the learning experience, and so 360 video from YouTube or um, getting really creative with kind of a mixed reality delivery where you're taking spheres from Google Earth and you're, you know, staging them with digital content and creating scenes through just almost an endless um, uh, library of snapshots from, from every place that Google Earth has ever mapped. Um, and so there are really a lot of ways that you can stack free content um, that, that makes the learning come to life. Uh, before you have to spend a lot of money. So that would be my humble suggestion. Has it been difficult to, I mean, we think of post-pandemic and we hear some of the stories of so many teachers wanting to leave the teaching profession for this reason or that reason. Have you had a hard time trying to to uh, get teachers to take such a huge leap and for many, you know, such a change and disruptive paradigm of how we deliver education or are you getting huge wait lists of teachers? How hard is it, I guess, 
to get teachers for such a school? Yeah. Oh my goodness. So you, I don't know the the data in, um, in Canada, but in the United States, 60% of the workforce is still working remotely. And um, teachers, of course, have been expected to, for the most part, come back in person. And, um, you know, the, the, the wages for teachers in many areas have not um, kind of risen in, um, in the same relation to the expectation of their <laughs> commitment. And so we actually had more teachers in the first year of the school. We had more applications for teachers than we did for students, which, you know, for some of us was was alarming. I was not alarmed, actually, because I realized that if you got really great teachers, which we did in year one, year two, we'd have really, really great students. And, and it's it's born out that way. We started with 200 students in year one and we have grown to um, almost 560 students. Wow. Wow. So, so that gives you a sense, you know, almost three Xing the growth in one year. Um, that gives you a sense of the, the power of investing in really great teachers. Uh, we had, we did not have more teacher applicants this year than students, but we had about the same. We had about 200 applications for about five spots. So we were able to, uh, we were able to get really incredible uh, faculty. Uh, Adam, added to- that is fantastic. You Thank know, you. Yeah. Spe- speaks volumes of the kind of organization you're running. It, I follow you on LinkedIn, and, and I've learned a lot that way too. And one of the things that really piqued my interest was a post you did uh, about last week, and it was a research study. So you recently posted this research study that you guys did in concert with Dr. Ryan Walker. And the title of the research study for the listeners was VR Instruction and the Associated Impact on Learning. Tell us a bit about the findings of that research study that Dr. Walker did. Tremendous, tremendous, tremendous. So we had a couple of opportunities to, uh, and and Ryan Walker is one of our incredible uh, subject matter experts. He helped build our science content. And he was part of a pilot um, that started this study in Pomona, California. This is actually before the school opened. And we continued the study throughout the two years that we were piloting and then throughout last year. And so this is, this is a, a more longitudinal study where we looked at um, the efficacy specifically in um, the fifth grade and sixth grade science standards. And we compared um, our learning outcomes and student performance to other online schools. So this was a very specific um, uh, study where we were looking at uh, I won't name the other online programs just out of respect, but we were looking at other virtual instruction providers uh, compared to what we had planned to deliver and what we delivered just for science instruction. And um, we, we, we had incredible results. Um, you, you know, I would encourage your listeners to, to, to look at that white paper and, um, and see just the overwhelming response in terms of student engagement um, I think that, you know, when you when you want to drill down to like, what's the secret sauce? Why is this delivery mechanism particularly helpful for this generation of student? Um, focus is the new IQ. And there's so many distractions, right? When you put a VR headset on, you can't be on TikTok. You can't be worried about what other people think about you. You're, you're highly engaged and you're focused on the task at hand. And that level of engagement and the kind of human accountability that takes place in a social VR platform has better outcomes, as you can imagine, than having Zoom school, 
with the checkerboard of faces and the kind of um, disconnect from the sense of presence that you have in a VR platform. So there was no surprises in that engagement leads to better learning outcomes, but I don't think that people imagined um, how significant those differences would be. Adam, you and I go way back and I was so lucky to be when, on one of your shows, just for, again, for the audience perspective, uh, you and I connected in 2021 because you hosted a podcast called Ready Learner One, which focused in on Ready virtual- Teacher One. Sorry, Ready Teacher One. Thank you. And it focused in on, uh, of course, the similar topic that I do, and that's virtual reality and learning. And, you know, life got busy for you and, you know, you had to drop one of those many balls that you juggle. And this was one of them. But I want you to reflect on that show because there were some amazing episodes. And what would you say was one of the big takeaways from operating that show and diving in and listening to some of the folk on that show? Oh my goodness. Um, yeah, the, the, it was, it was so humbling to be able to do that with my good friend, Ryan McLaughlin. And, um, both of us have, have been able to, to, to find ourselves very busy, but we had incredible folks come on. I mean, of course you, um, but we had, you know, we had, um, just some, some really dynamic educational pioneers, um, uh, the founder of Prisms, uh, the founder of Elon Musk's school um, at Astra, just a number of folks who came on who we were super humbled to have on uh, the the kind of the, the chief uh, strategic partner leader at at Engage, um, our friend at uh, the CEO of, uh, of Victory XR, just so many different dynamic CEO of Prisms, so many companies that have kind of come to age in this era uh, before they were known were on that podcast. And one of the gleanings that I, that I, that I had, one of the, as you might remember, one of the questions that we would always ask was, what do you know to be true that others would uh, disagree with you on? You know, this kind of contrarian question, uh, what is the insight that, that you, that you know to be true? And what, what I came to find out um, through that podcast was that, the era of spatial computing wasn't something that was 20 or 30 or 40 years away, but that we were currently living in that era of spatial computing. And so what I knew to be true was that the pandemic marked the actual introduction to the 21st century that we had been talking about forever. It didn't happen when the year 2000 hit that, that we were there, but we were still operating like, you know, we were operating in 1900 in, in the year 2000 for the most part in the schools. But but the pandemic really forced us to move into the 21st century. And now you see the technological innovations that we were talking about two and three years ago being every, in everyday use, uh, AI, blockchain, of course, immersive computing. These, if you go back and look at that show, we were introducing those concepts um, at, at that time. And, um, and so, you know, it was incredible to be able to have people like you come on and, and talk about pioneering when, uh, we were just a whole bunch of crazy folks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've learned so much from you. And one thing that really strikes me about you is just your ability to listen, iterate, understand a situation as a systems thinker that you are, and adapt. And so 
under that auspice, you've been running now, if we include maybe the pilot phase, more than two years. So what's maybe a few things that you started out doing, but as you learned and iterated and, and tested and went back to the drawing board, maybe give me a few things that you've changed now that we're in year three or whatever of your program. Yeah. You know, you have to remove the friction for the end user. You have to be absolutely, and people say this, but I don't know that people fully understand what it means to be obsessed with your customer, you know, in a healthy way, but, you know, like really know who you're serving and really make sure that you're absolutely delighting your customer. One of the biggest barriers, and I think every one of your listeners that loves VR would agree with this, is there's a lot of friction in the hardware. And so if you were to put all of the responsibility of prepping oneself to have this kind of social VR educational experience, if you were to put all of that on the end user, you may not have the opportunity to even get to the medium because you know, setting up boundaries and, 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 and setting up accounts and, and all of the pieces that, are, that create friction for the end user, um, we have to remove. And so we got better and better and better and better at removing the friction so that we could mail a headset to a third grader, they could turn it on, connect to the Wi-Fi and enter their classroom in, in a matter of, you know, very few clicks. And that, that obsession has led to um, a lot of really positive feedback. One of the things that I've been most proud of is some of the use cases where, you know, we are, we're, we're actually providing right now um, academic content for Stanford's Children's Hospital. And so, you know, students who can't get out of a hospital bed can't set up a boundary. And so, you know, you get, you remove as much friction as possible. You make it super easy for them to be able to click, 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 and they're in. Um, and you get better and better and better at that. Um, on the kind of pedagogy side, so that's the user experience side. On the pedagogy side, we have spent a lot of time with our subject matter experts and uh, our learning scientists helping to get teachers better at their craft. I think one thing that I underestimated, even though I would say it out loud, is how important the teacher is in this new medium. They are critically more important in this medium, and I would venture to argue, than in any other delivery mechanism. Um, and teachers, of course, are essential in, in, in Zoom school and in analog school and in correspondence school and in any other way. But in this medium, teacher is absolutely critical and the way in which teacher approaches learning and approaches student feedback and approaches structuring the lesson. Because the lessons are delivered so efficiently, there's not a lot of time for swinging and missing. And so really buttoning up the pedagogy has been a huge emphasis. And so we do, for example, we have live class four days a week. And then on the fifth day, we have professional development every week. And we had to adapt to make sure that that schedule really centered around helping the teacher get better at their craft. So two-pronged answer. One would be user experience, removing the clunkiness and friction. The second would be huge investments in pedagogy and helping teachers get better at their craft. And starting with the idea that the teacher is at the center of this you know, experience. 
Amazing. Um, I'm mindful of time, and although I'm not quite as creative as you and Ryan with your rapid-fire questions at the end of your podcast, I always like to leave room for, you know, is there anything that's left unsaid? Is there anything else as a final sort of note that maybe we didn't talk to or talk about that maybe you want to drop in this last little section? Absolutely. You know, um, we're in the aerospace of computing, and although we have built an incredible virtual instruction program and, and our students can access fully Cognia accredited coursework that they can put on a college transcript. That's been a huge accomplishment. Most of our business comes from people who are exploring products like our field trip product. Um, and so for the educators out there that are interested in trying virtual reality, not wanting to spend a lot of money or for learners out there that want to understand what's going on with the kind of, um, you know, era of spatial computing, I would encourage folks to look at us, look at other companies that are trying to make VR learning more accessible, who are prioritizing, you know, trying to, to, to lower the cost of, of participating. Um, and, and I would just have people try to explore as much as possible. One cool product that we have launched that has gained a lot of traction in the last two months has been our content editor course. So as I mentioned at the very beginning of the podcast, I started teaching kids how to build, you know, in Unreal Engine. And Unreal Engine is amazing, but you need a tethered computer and you need a lot of time to learn Unreal Engine. And even the blueprinting is complicated. Unity is a little bit more accessible, um, but it's still a game engine and you need a lot of time to get, to get pretty good at that. Um, content editor is a, uh, is a way of taking three-dimensional recordings or my recordings and animating IFX within the Engage platform and being able to build substantive uh, experiences in VR without having to script or without having to blueprint. And so we've built a content editor course that I would encourage many of your listeners, if they're interested in dabbling in VR development, but don't feel like they can learn you know, coding or scripting or, 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 or really level design, um, this is a really fast path to being able to build substantive, cool experiences. Yeah, and I can add to that. I I feel like this is what we might call the Google Doc moment for VR is the content editor. And what I mean by that is I remember in the, the 2000s, once you know the ease of use of Google Slides and Google Doc came about and teachers were able to have, you know, ownership and agency to start to adapt some of the textbooks or some of the workbooks to create their own sort of flavor of what that looked like, you know, usage, computer usage skyrocketed because it was so easy for a teacher to do that. And when you talk to many teachers who are new to VR, they say, like you, like you just mentioned, they're like, way too complicated for me. But it's not if you have the right tools like these no-code, low-code tools. The content editor is one of them. Like you can create interactivity through buttons and you can drag and drop stuff. And all of a sudden, you know, you've created your own little immersive worksheet that might be, like you said before, a chapter out of the book of The Outsiders that you're already reading with the kids. And so uh, I highly encourage the listeners to check that out and um Anyway, Adam, thanks so much for coming on the show. If people do want to get a hold of you or 
try and find out more about some of the courses that you guys offer and the wisdom, you know, two and a half, maybe three years of wisdom in some of those teachers on your staff is amazing. Oh, absolutely. Please check us out. Um, OptimaAcademy.online is our uh, website. Please uh, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. That's where Craig and I hang out after hours uh, when it's uh, cocktail time and, and happy hour time. And so feel free to follow me on LinkedIn as well. And best of luck to to this audience that I know is, is first of all, congratulations on being light years ahead. We are in the era of spatial computing. Um, you know, we didn't get a chance to touch on AI or blockchain, but all of these technologies combined are going to transform life for the better. And uh, I'm a firm believer that uh, those educators who are willing and open to to lead in these domains are going to be able to impact the lives of kids for, for just the years to come. So thank you so much for your time, Craig. I really appreciate it. Amazing. And I just want to add one more caveat. I c- couldn't have picked a better person to be my 100th episode. So thanks, buddy. Oh, my goodness. I appreciate you so much. Happy 100th. Bye for now. All right. We'll talk to you soon.